Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chatham Community Church. Welcome to fall kickoff. I am so excited that y'all are here. Uh, this is uh, our lead pastor, Alex, often says this is the second most wonderful time of the year. Um, so I'm glad y'all are here. Uh, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church. And for those of you who are guests, who haven't been with us in a while, who've never been with us, welcome. We are one church in two locations. And so we've got a group of people who are worshiping and celebrating up in North Chatham. And we've got this wonderful community here. Welcome. What we're all about is connecting people to God and to each other so that together we can engage our world for good. And I hope you experience some of that this morning as you worship with us, as you meet people, as you receive wonderful gifts uh, with, uh, with sort of local wares from this county as you jump on bounce houses or live vicariously through kids who are jumping on bounce houses and as hopefully as you are able, uh, you enjoy some delicious ice cream. I hope you, you, you experience a picture of what it's like to be connected to people who love you and want to serve this community well. Uh, December 17th, 1903 is a date that has lived in history. It's an important date to remember in North Carolina's history. In fact, it's not just important for North Carolina's history, it's important for the nation's history. In fact, it's important in the history of the world. It is the day, uh, just four hours east of here on a beach, that the Wright brothers achieved what no one else had. Could you advance me, Mike? I'm not, uh, there we go. Got it, got it, thank you. Uh, just on a, on a beach four hours east of here, the, the Wright brothers achieved what no one else had up to that point, manned-powered flight. Their achievement has had ripple effects around the world in many areas throughout the years. Now, Orville and Wilbur had been pursuing this dream of flight for a number of years. In fact, they had been fascinated by the idea of flight as children. And for seven years, they had been seriously pursuing, figuring out how to solve the problem of manned-powered flight before that faithful day in Kitty Hawk. And they did all of this without fanfare, without much attention at first, without any government funding. Their story is captivating because it exemplifies industriousness, uh, determination, drive, persistence, going after a dream and chasing it as best as you can and trying to do something that makes a difference and that lasts. It's a story of thriving, of flourishing, of making a difference, of leaving a lasting legacy. It is a story of people who soared. That connects with us. The idea of soaring connects with us because deep down, that's what we all want, isn't it? We want to thrive. We want to flourish in life. We want to do at least one thing that makes a difference, and we want to leave a legacy, a legacy for good, something that impacts people's lives. And that aspiration, that desire, is shared across cultures around the globe throughout generations by all of humanity because you and I were made to soar. You and I were made to soar. We were made to thrive. We were made to flourish. And today we start a season at Chatham Community Church where we're focusing on that idea, on that idea that you and I were made for thriving, for flourishing. You and I were made with a purpose to make a difference and to leave a legacy that lasts. We were made to soar. And though each week we're going to zero in on a particular aspect or a particular facet of soaring, there's going to be an overarching theme. 
throughout all these sermons, throughout all these weeks. And it's this. If it's true that we were made to soar, then in order for us to take flight in life, it's essential that we connect with the God who created us, who created us with the purpose of thriving and flourishing, who created us so that we would make a difference, so that we would leave a legacy that lasts, the God who created us to soar. Now, soaring may not take as much math as it did for the Wright brothers to figure out the problem of manned-powered flight, but it is a lifetime pursuit. And whether you're young, think yourself young, or have come to grips with the fact that you're not that young anymore, I'm going to invite you into whatever is the next step of that pursuit. Today we're going to start with someone who soars in a difficult setting. He soars through challenging circumstances, and he soars against all odds. And if you have yet been, if you haven't yet been in a situation, in one of those three situations, I can promise you, at some point in your life, you're going to find yourself in a difficult setting, in a challenging situation, facing odds that are stacked against you. So let's gather today what we're going to need to soar when it feels the hardest to. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Daniel, and we're going to read in chapter 6. We're going to read the first 11 verses. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, don't worry. We're going to project it on the screen. But if you have a Bible and aren't sure where Daniel is, start at the beginning. Scroll like a page past the Psalms. Get through those big books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And if you start seeing names like Micah, you've gone too far. Right, Daniel is the first of what are known as the book of the minor prophets. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And here we go. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce this decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue this decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. 
Now, the book of Daniel takes place in a place called Babylon, in the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon was one of the superpowers of that age in that particular region. And Babylon had conquered those who we know in the story of Scripture as the people of God. They had sacked the city of Jerusalem. They had destroyed the temple. And they had taken back to Babylon. They had taken captive uh, people who were sort of the best and brightest. They had taken them into exile. And Daniel was one of these people who had been taken into exile. He was one of the people considered uh, sort of the emerging generation, the emerging leaders, the best and brightest. And at this time, there's a new king ruling in Babylon, a man named Darius. And as is expected with a change of administration, he's sort of laying out and laying down how he wants his kingdom to be run. And he's appointing people to different positions to make sure things go about as he wills, right? He's appointing administrators and prefects and satraps and advisors and governors, etc., etc., etc. And these are specific, are, are very significant positions. They are important positions. These positions have power attached to them. They have influence attached to them. They have resources attached to them. They are important. To be in one of those positions feels like you've made it to a point in life. All of it, to have all of that, sounds like a life that's thriving. It's hitting on all cylinders. A life that is flourishing. It might even feel like soaring to be in one of those positions. And for many people, positions, power, influence, resources, is what people think are required to soar, or what people think enables you to soar. The picture some people have, maybe some of us have, of soaring, has one or more of those components attached to them. After all, it does set us up well. For many of us, those things are either the means of soaring or the ends of soaring. The problem with that, the problem with having positions, influence, power, and resources as the picture of soaring is that all of those things are fleeting. All of those things can be threatened. All of those things can get taken away. And it's amazing what people are capable of when their idea or their sense of what it means to flourish and thrive feels threatened. A group of these satraps, a group of these administrators feel that their position, their power, their influence, their access to resources is threatened. It's threatened by a looming, a looming promotion for Daniel. They have a sense that he might soar higher than they are soaring. And he might affect their ability to soar. So what do they do? What do they do when they feel their view or their idea of soaring threatened? They conspire. They undermine. They collude. They mislead the king. They set a trap for Daniel, and then they make sure that they're there to catch him when he falls into him. They set him up to be executed. When they perceive that there's a crisis, when they perceive that there's a crisis to their view of what it means to flourish, what it means to thrive, what it means to soar, they're willing to go to the extreme. They're willing to take someone's life for the sake of maintaining their flight. Now, nothing in the passage says that these people weren't skilled at their jobs. It doesn't say that they didn't have ability. They clearly had the ability to influence. They clearly had ambition. They were clearly able to formulate and carry out a plan. These are good things. But having the wrong idea of what soaring is causes them to employ all those good skills. 
for bad purposes. Because they have the wrong picture of soaring, when the crisis comes, their character crashes. Their character collapses. They find themselves in free fall. The Wright brothers weren't the only group of people, weren't the only people who were trying to figure out manned and powered flight in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Among those who were trying to figure out how to take to the skies was a man named Samuel Pierpont Langley. Samuel Pierpont Langley had everything going for him. Samuel Pierpont Langley had government funding. Samuel Pierpont Langley had a prominent position at the Smithsonian. He was well known and had a good reputation and was trusted because of the discoveries he had made as an astronomer. And the media spotlight was on him. Everyone was cheering him on. He had things going for him and he had aspirations. He wanted to be a revolutionary figure like Thomas Edison or Alexander Graham Bell. Make the kind of invention that would change the world. For him, solving this problem was all about being first in flight. Because if he could do that, then he'd really be soaring. Then he'd be soaring for all of history. But his attempts failed. His funding dried up. He got bad press. He got mocked, even on the floor of Congress. And then when the Wright brothers got there first, he couldn't take anymore. He couldn't take it anymore. That was too much. And he gave up. He had so much on his side, so much going for him, but he had the wrong picture of what soaring was like. What if he had kept going? What if he had kept going because his aspiration was to make a difference, was to, be, to, 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 to fly? What if his aspiration would have led him to even make more advancements in flight? But he had the wrong picture. Soaring was all about being first. Soaring was all about uh, becoming a figure like Edison and Alexander Graham Bell. So when the crisis came and he could be first no longer, he folded. He gave up. He grounded himself. Friends, the wrong picture of soaring, whether it's to take actions that destroy our character or lead us to give up, the wrong picture of soaring will leave us in a free fall when the crisis comes. It may look different for each one of us, but we'll be in free fall when crisis comes, and crisis will come. So take a moment right now. What does your picture of soaring look like? When you think of what it means to thrive, what it means to flourish in life, what it's going to take to make a difference, what it's going to mean for you to leave a good legacy, what do you picture? What do you envision? What are the re requirements? What are the prerequisites? And now assess what happened the last time a crisis came. Maybe you didn't go into free fall, but maybe you plummeted a little bit. Maybe you felt your spirits drop and you gave up hope. Maybe you took actions that you regret now, but you sort of talked yourself out of because after all, the ends justified the means. And the question is, will you be able to keep soaring next time? Do you have the things at your disposal? Do you have the picture that will help you soar the next time the crisis comes? Because it will come. It will come. Now, there are specifics of the picture of soaring that will be unique to each one of us. Each one of us has our own story. Each one of us has our own path, the own, our own direction. But we all have one in, something in common. All soaring depends on staying connected to the God who created us to thrive and to flourish. 
if our pictures of soaring don't include being connected to the one who made us to soar, who knows what it takes for us to soar, who knows what soaring will look like for us, then we will never soar. It may seem like we're gliding for a time, but we will collapse when the crisis comes. And Daniel exemplifies that in this story. The first things we hear about him in this passage paint a picture of a life that's thriving and flourishing. He's one of three administrators over the satraps who are ruling the whole kingdom. He's taking care of everything in the kingdom or helping at it. And he excels at this. He excels so much that the king is thinking of creating a position and putting him over even those administrators. There are no nits to pick over how he carries out his responsibility. He is excellent in his execution of his tasks. He's exemplary in character, exemplary in integrity, exemplary in ability. That sounds like someone who's soaring, someone who's flourishing, someone who's being recognized. And what's remarkable is that he's doing all of this in the place that he's been carried into exile to. He's doing it as a foreigner and as a hated foreigner at that. He's doing it as a captive. Not only has he been taken into exile, but he can't go anywhere. And yet, he is still soaring. He is soaring, no matter how difficult the setting is. And what's enabling him to do this? What's enabling him to soar? What's enabling him to soar is his connection to God. It's not sort of, sort of um, broadcast in the passage, but it's right there. It's right there. When the crisis comes, it says, he went to home to his upstairs room when the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Read that part. Just as he had done before. Didn't matter that he was in exile. Didn't matter that he couldn't access the place where his, where his community, his people had traditionally worshipped. Didn't matter that he was taken as a captive. He still soared. He still maintained his connection to God, he had well-worn paths that connected him to God. Every day, three times a day, he tended to that connection. He, he sort of encouraged that connection. He maintained that connection. He gave thanks to God in that connection, and he soared. He soared even in a difficult setting. In the book On Writing, Stephen King, uh, this is his memoir and his, his uh, musings about the craft of writing, he talks about uh, a lot that has contributed to him being such a successful and prolific author. King puts out sometimes one or more books each year. He talks about the things that have contributed to that. Every day that he's at home, here's one of the things he does. Uh, every day that he's at home, save for some holidays, at, a sp at specific times in the day, in a designated location in his house, he sits down and he writes. Every day, no matter what else is happening, if he's at home, he writes. Doesn't matter if what he writes is good or what he writes is bad. He sits down and he writes. If he happens to have finished a book earlier in the day or the day before, the next day he sits down, he starts writing a new one. Every day he writes. He has a well-worn path that he walks every day, and it has proven fruitful in his career and his life. And that shouldn't surprise us because we know. We know that there are good habits that we can sort of take up that are going to be helpful to us in many areas. Well-worn paths help us get further in life. We know that. But do we know that there are paths for the soul as well? There are well-worn paths that can help us go further in our life with God well-worn paths that can connect us to God and help us soar. Paths like prayer, reflection, 
falling in love with and immersing ourselves in Scripture, community, service, worship, so many more. There are well-worn paths. There are paths for the soul that if we walk will keep us connected to God and will help us soar. Now, Stephen King's well-worn path wasn't just good for his career. His well-worn path also has served him in the midst of crisis. And he's gone through crisis. He's gone through crisis. When his alcoholism got really bad, his well-worn path helped him. In the early days when he finally admitted that he had a problem and needed to recover, his well-worn path helped him deal with the lie that it was the alcohol that made him a good author. When he was struck down by a car and went through a painful recovery and when he was at death's door, it was the well-worn path that helped him come back. The well-worn path got him through the crisis. And when the edict comes that Daniel can't pray to his God for 30 days and one wonders what's going to happen, what's he going to do, what Daniel does is he goes to his well-worn path. When the crisis comes, his well-worn path is there for him. It's easy to miss what he does as he walks that well-worn path because it says that they found him praying as he had done many days. But it says that as he was praying this day when they found him, he walks the well-worn path and as he's praying, what he's doing is he's asking God for help. He's asking God for help for how to face this crisis. When the crisis came, his first instinct is to go to the one who's made him sore. His well-worn path helped him find the way through the crisis. That's the thing about well-worn paths that connect us to God. They help us find our way in the darkest days. Well-worn paths that connect us to God help us find our way in the darkest days. We've all gone through dark days, haven't we? Days when we feel disoriented, when we're not sure where to turn or what to do, when the crisis feels overwhelming. It's the well-worn paths that connect us to God that will help us find our way, that will enable us to continue to soar even when it feels the hardest. How well-worn are your paths to connect to God? Some of us, we could go around this room and we could talk. You could talk about those well-worn paths that you have and how they've helped you find your way in the midst of a crisis. You can tell stories now marveling at how well you were able to get through some of the darkest days or how you're getting through them right now. For some of us, we're here and we're realizing that some of our well-worn paths are not so well-worn anymore. In fact, they're overgrown and they need some tending to. Some of us are here and we're just hearing about well-worn paths for the first time and we're thinking, I don't even know that I have a path. That's okay. You can start building a well-worn path today. Whatever it is, the one who made you to soar wants to be connected to you. Not only does he want to be connected to you, but he's given you many avenues, many, many ways, many, many tools to connect with him, many habits, many practices with which you can create well-worn paths. Find the ones that will help you. Find the ones that will keep you tethered to him. Find the ones that will help you find your ways in the darkest days because they're there. Because the one who made you to soar wants you to soar even when it feels hard. Now let's continue in the story. When we last left the story, Daniel had been found out. 
right? He'd been found out by those who are trying to set up. The trap has been laid, and it has snapped, and it works. And he's asking God for help in that moment. He knows that something could happen because what's on the other side of this trap that's been set for him is death. What's on the other side is a lion's den with hungry lions ready to eat whatever gets thrown down. And I'd love to tell you that as soon as he asks God for help, things get resolved. That the conspiracy is exposed. That Daniel doesn't go through anything else. That he is taken care of and he gets to stay in his home. But that's not what happens. It's not what happens in the story. What happens is he gets thrown into the lion's den. He had followed the well-worn path. He had asked God for help. He had gone there in the midst of his crisis. And it looks like things have taken a turn for the worse. And it sure doesn't look like Daniel is soaring. It seems like he's sinking, possibly into the mouth of a very hungry lion. But as you read the story, and I encourage you to do that, Daniel seems unfazed. Throughout the story, he doesn't even look angry. And after spending a night surrounded by lions, he is not only alive, but he is unharmed. See, the well-worn path, the connection to God, has enabled him to soar against all odds because there was nothing that should have made him be able to survive that. The odds were stacked against him, but he survives against all odds. He soars against all odds because he patiently expects God to come through when things take a turn for the worse. And that's the thing, friends. Sometimes things take a turn for the worse. Even when we have a well-worn path, even when we do all the right things, even when we come to God and ask for help, even when we have a deep and rich connection, sometimes things take a turn for the worse. The cancer comes back. That relationship ends instead of being reconciled. You get laid off. You get fired. Your business fails. You fail the test. You don't get into the school. You don't make the team. It may look in those moments like God has abandoned us, like he's left us in free fall. Don't give up. I had, a, I had someone in my life who used to say, when it comes to God, it is always too soon to quit. It is always too soon to give up. Our connection to God, our well-worn paths open the door for patient expectation. And here's what, what the patient expectation is for. The patient expectation is that the one who made us to soar will not see us crash and burn. The one who made us to soar will not see us crash and burn. We may get thrown into situations that feel like we're in the lion's den. It may happen more than once in life, but here's what I can promise you. The lions won't eat you. The lion's mouth will be closed, just like it was for Daniel. Years after Daniel, a man named Jesus took this even a step further. The Son of God soared outside the traditional spheres of his society. He wasn't part of the religious elite. He didn't have the resources that others had. He didn't have the pedigree. He didn't have the positions. He didn't have the prestige. Even though he was God, he had well-worn paths to connect him to the Father. Read the gospel narratives. It shows Jesus connecting to the Father over and over again. And crisis came. 
And crisis came and betrayal came and he prayed for relief and it seemed like relief didn't come. It seemed like things only got worse. We find Jesus dying a criminal's death, abandoned by many of his friends and placed in a tomb that he couldn't even afford to have. And that really doesn't look like soaring. That doesn't even look like free falling. That looks like a disaster. But something changed after three days. After three days, the stone was rolled away and the man who had been seen crashing and burning was now risen, soaring, life. Not even death could keep Jesus from soaring. And in that, Jesus has made a path for us to soar through whatever circumstance. Even when it feels like we're free falling, even when it feels like we're inches from the ground, even when it feels like we've caught fire and might be headed towards crashing and burning. He makes a path to us, for us, to God, so we can connect with him. Friend, I'm going to invite you today and all these weeks, the invitation is simple. The invitation is into a life of soaring. Let's soar, because that's what we were made for. Two ways to do this. One, if you've never, if you've never, ever, ever connected to God through Jesus, Today is your opportunity. Jesus has made a way for you to connect to God, for you to soar. You have an opportunity today to make a life-altering decision to walk the path that Jesus has laid out for you. To walk the path towards the God who sees you, who loves you, who tells you you don't need to be afraid, and who always promises that you can come home. Come to that God today through Jesus. And if you already have that connection to Jesus, the invitation is to build and maintain well-worn paths to him. The habits that will keep you connected and going to him when crisis comes, when things get tough, that will help you continue to soar. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your specific action is. But take the step today. Take the step to soar. It's what you were made for, to thrive, to flourish, to make a difference, to leave a legacy that lasts. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on stage, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that God reveals to you whatever the step is for you to soar, whatever the decision is, whatever the thing to do, whatever the thing to think or feel or pray or commit to. I'm going to pray. And what I'm going to ask you for as I pray is for you to be open to sensing, to hearing, to feeling, and then responding. So let me pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, not our worst days, not our worst mistakes, not our darkest thoughts, not, not even our most desolate apathy can keep us from you. You have made it easy for us to come to you. By following Jesus, you have made the path clear. Lord, for those of us for whom today is a day of decision, a day to stop painting a picture of soaring that doesn't include you because it's an impossible picture improbable picture. May we come to you. And Lord, for all of us, you've not made yourself difficult to find. You've not made yourself hard to access. You have given us a variety of resources that we can use to maintain a connection to you, to build well-worn paths. Lord, whatever it is, 
whatever is the thing that is going to bring joy to our lives as we delight in connecting with you, whatever is going to sustain us when the crisis comes, whatever is going to keep us from feeling like we're in free fall, whatever prayer, whatever scripture habit, whatever reflection habit, whatever worship habit, uh, whatever it is, God, whatever community habit, way we know that there is a well, there's a path that we can wear down well that will sustain us as we connect to you. And may we follow it so that we can soar, Lord. It's what you made us for. It's what our world needs to see that you have made us for flourishing and thriving. Give us that today. In Jesus' name, amen.